All righty, everybody. Good morning, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. Wiz, how are you today? Doing well here. Do, doing well. Uh, yeah, it's uh, you know, some uh, a few more free agent signings uh, with each uh, with each uh, with each passing day, uh, and um, then it gets closer to the NFL draft and news and. Uh, you know, and uh, it's, uh, you know, still getting a little bit of that excitement. I know in our fantasy football league, guys, called, uh, a couple of guys posted about their keeper list. And, uh, you know, people are uh, starting to get uh, that itch of football as it gets closer to the draft, which is always a good thing because I think this is going to be a, a really fantastic um, draft. Yeah, and, you can, and, and you're going to have an in-person draft, right? So, you know, it's a big difference in last yeah. year where, where it was a virtual draft. And, and there is a decent amount of talent and certainly a lot of speculation on potentially what could happen here. I think, you know, as a Giant fan, we talked about this in the last podcast, I sit here and, you know, certainly expecting uh, a lot of those quarterbacks to go off the board. And as a result of that, it being, so, you know, quite talented players at some other positions, which will end up falling as a result of that. So uh, it promises to be quite interesting. I, I thought um, I thought a couple of interesting signings uh, that that did take place and, and implications from a from a fantasy perspective. So I'm not quite sure what James White is thinking, but nonetheless he stays with the New England Patriots, which. You know, again, James White is very talented, but he was completely misused last year um, uh, from a football perspective. I think the, the the two most interesting signings, I think, are actually one, uh, which which we talked about and kind of predicted. Tevin Coleman follows his offensive coordinator in Mike LaFleur to the New York Jets. And I think it's you could really start the season, even though Tevin Coleman did very, very little last year for the San Francisco 49ers, but you could start the season with Tevin Coleman, depending on what they do in the draft, um, as a number one uh, a running back in the, in the Jets' uh, uh, depth chart. So that'll be something to watch. Uh, Damian Williams, the Heroes Super Bowl uh, back in 2019 for the Kansas City Chiefs. He opted out last year. Uh, and I think a really good signing by the Chicago Bears. And Tariq Cohen is kind of, he was hurt last year. And I think the kind of the, the excitement over that player has kind of waned quite, quite, quite a bit. And Damian Williams doesn't have a lot of mileage on him for an older running back, kind of like Mike Davis, actually. Uh, last year, I think from a, from a fantasy perspective, David Montgomery was a huge beneficiary of not having anybody to back him up, uh, much like James Robinson. So now you add a player, you know, James Robinson now has uh, Carlos Hyde behind him, but you had a player like Damian Williams, who's got a little bit more power to run between the tackles and can catch the ball. And the impact on David Montgomery, I think there will be an impact on David Montgomery. And the last signing that you kind of brought to my attention, uh, which I had actually missed, uh, and a player who... When given the opportunity uh, for the Los Angeles Rams when there was injuries, definitely showed you that it was capable of being a, of a very solid number two receiver. And there is a lot of catches to make up uh, in that Tennessee Titan attack. Despite, you know, you, you lose Jonu Smith, and they, they also lost Corey Davis. Uh, Adam Humphreys is no longer there. And they signed Jerry Reynolds of the... Uh, uh, of, of, of the Los Angeles Rams. So I think that's an interesting one. You had brought that up, and uh, I, I think so people will have to watch that one come uh, come the season where he'll be one of those kind of sleeper picks, you know, not not a guy that will be in the top 30, but a guy capable of easily putting up, you know, 50, 60 catches in that offense. Yeah, Josh Reynolds is a good, uh, a good signing, I thought, for the Titans. Uh 
really, you know, at best he was the third guy in um, behind Woods and Cup, and you know, for the Rams, I think he'll get an opportunity. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, uh, with uh, Corey Davis and Smith at tight end, you know, those were the two and three pass catchers behind uh, behind AJ Brown. So there's a, there's a lot of balls. Uh, that could come his way, so that that was a good one. And you were right. I mean, you thought that uh, Coleman would come along uh, with uh, with the guys from the Forty ers and uh, and uh, Lafleur probably liked what he saw from him. And you know, familiarity is always a uh, a good thing. And Damian Williams has some familiarity with Nagy as well, the coach of the Bears. So you know, you have that familiarity. And I think uh, they, while we thought there would be some other landing spots. That was also along the lines of familiarity, like maybe James White coming back with Brady and Gronk. That didn't work out, but it did in the case of Coleman and Damian Williams going to the Bears, as you mentioned. Boy, we have some tricky situations now. We talked about Swift, um, the the one with uh, Swift last week, uh, and now we're talking about the combination uh, of over here, that's you know, with Damian Williams joining Montgomery, it's going to take away a little bit of value with him, kind of like the Jamal Williams and Swift uh, situation now in Detroit. So it's going to make for some fantasy headaches trying to sort through that. But uh, you know, that's part of the fun as well. Yeah, I guess that kind of leads into actually before before we lead into this kind of podcast and what we're going to talk about, I just wanted to ask you. So one of the guys that was kind of the last probably probably the, the top receiver left on the board in terms of free agents uh, was T.Y. Hilton. And, and, and T.Y. Hilton is kind of an interesting one because um, you and I were, were owners of him in one league. Uh, not that we wanted him, but it, it was a player that was ended up – we didn't do that draft and, and we kind of took ownership of the player. But he did virtually nothing in the first 10 games. And uh, funny enough, he actually scored five touchdowns in the last five games that the Colts played and started to show some signs of life. And sure, sure enough – uh, he signs a contract uh, with the Indianapolis Colts again. Obviously, Carson Wentz will be the quarterback for $10 million. So do you think this is something that – is T.Y. Hilton just going to be completely under the radar still? And, you know, how, how, are you, how are you viewing that signing with, with a team that does have a lot of young talent at the wide receiver position? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, T.Y. Hilton – his success is really, you know, kind of hitched to the wagon of Carson Wentz. I mean, some receivers are going to have put up numbers. You know, they're just so good, whether they're quarterback plays. But, I mean, this situation is so tricky that, you know, Carson Wentz just was a player that had just lost his confidence. But now, you know, with getting back with Frank Reich, if he could get that confidence level back, yeah, I think T.Y. Hilton could be an interesting guy. Um, I like Michael Pittman Jr. He was playing well. He was getting stronger uh, as the season went on. He was a complete beast in that playoff game. Um, you know, but that was with Rivers. Now it's a new thing. It's very interesting. You have a, a second-year wide receiver who now is playing in two years with his second different quarterback. So it's kind of like, you know, if it was Rivers again, you'd love Pittman even more. But now with Wentz, um, you know that you got to see how that how that works. But uh, yeah, T.Y. Hilton, I think, is forgotten about. While he was probably in the top fifteen his wide receivers, ten to fifteen receivers in in the last you know five years, 
you know, going into last year and now going into this year, completely off the radar, but he could be one of those guys that could give you good value. All right, good stuff. Uh, and I, I tend to agree with you, so it's something to keep an eye on. And obviously Carson Wentz has to develop new chemistry with a, with a whole bunch of teammates, but uh, I'm sure he's ripe for the challenge and uh, he's looking forward to uh, kind of a, a second a second wind in his uh, in his fairly young career. Uh, so, so one of the things that that uh, Wiz and I were talking about, and, and something that we kind of independently researched and, and came around to. Look, I've been doing fantasy since the year two thousand. I think you started in the late eighties when when kind of my first fantasy league actually began um, doing fantasy football, which is which is a long time ago, and the game has changed quite a bit. And in even from my shorter time in in, in fantasy football, uh, I feel like you know there was a lot of information that was given to me. You know, I asked a lot of questions before I got involved in this. You know, what to do in terms of strategies and all that kind of stuff. And you know, things have changed quite a bit, uh, and. and very dramatically so, especially when I took a very close look at, you know, at the skill set positions and, and not just the skill set positions, obviously defense uh, and kicking has been impacted as well. But things, the game that we started with, you know, you in the late 80s, me, me in the year 2000 and where we are right now and how it's evolved, especially with the rule changes in the NFL, uh, player usage, much like other sports too, by the way. This is happening in Major League Baseball. It's happening in the NBA. Very, very different things. But, but we thought we would take a look at you know what's the significant differences really between what went on when we started in fantasy and kind of how things are should be approached now in ter- and and in some cases I think people may be approaching things the wrong way you know we've had a lot of discussions you and I on this podcast about the running back and, and our beliefs in the running back and you know, I have very strong views on it um, but anyway you Wiz and I are going to talk a little bit about that today so I'll let you kind of continuing on yeah, so, what, I mean the, the thing is the NFL offenses have evolved over time. Fantasy football scoring has evolved over time. And I think what hasn't evolved over time is a lot of the thinking of the fantasy football community and, and guys who are in leagues. So I just feel like the NFL, with the way they approach offenses, how that relates to fantasy football has certainly evolved and changed dramatically over time. And I just feel, you know, when I talk to people and I look at how they go about these drafts, I don't think that the thinking has evolved to the point of where it should be. And uh, that's uh, that's what we're going to talk about. So do we want to get uh, started with that? Yeah, absolutely. So l- let's get kick started. And, um, you know, again, I, I would say when I got started, one of the things that was kind of implored to me was, you know, make sure you get two really solid running backs. If you're in an auction league, uh, you probably ended up spending a significant portion of your salary cap uh, on like two really stud running backs. I, 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 I was saying, uh, I think the two running backs that I had to start my fantasy career, I think I have Ricky Waters and I had uh, Eddie George uh, back then with the, with the Titans. And I spent very, very little money at quarterback. I, I looked at my quarterback rosters the first two years I was doing fantasy, Aaron Brooks, Jeff Blake, Elvis Gerback, and John Kitna. Those were the four quarterbacks that I kind of messed around with uh, in my first two seasons in fantasy. So I think all those quarterbacks probably cost me a total of $4 or, or picked up on waiver wires or whatever. I spent very little money at the position. That's what kind of was 
kind of told to me, and you know, as time has gone on, you know, all the positions from running back to quarterback to tight end to wide receiver to defense and kicker, they've all changed markedly. And and, and Wiz, I think most of the leagues that people play in today from from a from a scoring system perspective, I think back when I started there was not such a thing as PPR, uh, and basically every single league that I'm in now plays at least full PR, if not half PPR. So that's been a significant significant advancement. And, and just the talent of the players and the usage of the players is very, very different. And, mind you, the, defensive, the way defenses are forced to play and the way they are penalized and as a result of touching players, five-yard rules, all this kind of stuff, it's a very different football game from 2000 to now. Yeah, so I, I have some I have some terrific stats to back that up. In 2000, let's just use the years 2000, basically 20 years of fantasy football. Let's go down the fantasy. You know, we're not going to go over every year, but let's use some of these years as measuring sticks. In the year 2000, 19 running backs, 19 had 250 or more carries. That's two thirds of teams in the National Football League basically had a running back that was getting 250 more carries. So let's uh, 250 or more carries. So let's talk about what that means. If you're in a 12 team league and there are about two thirds of the league or 20 running backs having tremendous shares of the carries, I mean, you're talking about 250 and some of them are well above that. In a 12-team league, you're in a real, a real scramble there because if, you, if six or five of those teams or something like that are able to get their hands on three of those guys, that means that almost half the league will have zero of those guys. So in a, in a league where... The, the the passing game is not as efficient. It's not as used as much. If you're talking about half the league being able to get, you know, three of those workhorse guys, that is a tremendous advantage. Let's forward that to 2010. 11 running backs had 250 carries. Still, if you had a few teams that were able to get their hands on two or three, a big advantage in a 12-team league. Certainly not as relevant as it was in 2000, but still 11 guys. In 2020, how many running backs had 250 more carries? Three. Three running backs. 19 to 11 to three. The day of the workhorse running back is gone. It's obsolete. It's not in in football anymore. Teams don't want that for their running backs. They want to keep running backs fresh. They want to keep them healthy. They understand that's what it takes to win. And the game has evolved more to the receivers in the passing game. And I just don't think the fantasy football community has caught up to that. And you just see in leagues, guys still going wild. And I think maybe there was a time with 19 running backs having 250 plus carries, there should have been a scramble to get those running backs. You could really dominate the league because you're getting three of those guys and there's not going to be that much of the passing game. But now fast forward to last year where there were three of those guys, it really has changed. And I think the thinking should change as well. 
Yeah, and no question. Look, the, the NFL has changed its thinking around that, right? Look at how running backs are valued in terms of from the salary cap perspective. They are they are they they are handled much differently. They don't command the same amount of money. So, I think what you're getting at here, really, and and I've talked about this endlessly since we started this podcast. I am not a believer in this current form of the game, and I don't see it get turning around anytime soon in spending money at the running back position. I really am not a believer in that. I think there's outstanding value that you can get in late rounds. Uh, I think there are always pickups to be had because injuries do happen as a result, uh, especially in leagues where there are where there isn't as uh, deeper rosters. If you're in if you're in te- leagues where rosters are twenty to twenty five uh, players long, that's a whole other story because there's going to be a lot of backups are going to be taken in those leagues. But if you're in leagues that only draft fifteen to seventeen players, uh, that leaves a tremendous amount of guys that will have an opportunity over the course of the season as a result of injury or opportunity uh, to be of some value. So. So I'm an advocate, I'm a significant advocate of, of not spending tremendous amounts of money at running back. Now, that's not to say that a guy like Derrick Henry, who over the last couple of years has, has been that true workhorse, uh, double-digit touchdowns, 300-yard, yard, uh, 300 attempt uh, per season. And, and by the way, that could catch up with him too. We've seen that running backs wear down, and I think your view is that Derrick Henry probably will show a little bit of wear and tear because of the usage over the last couple of years. But but I am definitely saying that the, the running back position should be treated much, much differently. I actually looked at something even more unbelievable, uh, Wiz. Now, yes, there are a few running backs that did have a lot of touchdowns last year, no question about it. Derrick Henry, Kamara, Dalvin Cook, you know, a tremendous amount of touchdowns used at the goal line. But the other thing that struck me in terms of running backs is that, did you know back in 2000, there was something like, I think there was something like 45 or 50 rushing touchdowns by quarterbacks. In the year 2020, there was like over 140 rushing touchdowns by by quarterbacks. So you're taking, you know, it's changed, right? From a scoring perspective, the quarterbacks have definitely taken on and they're more athletic, they rush for more yards. But the fact of the matter is, there are actually, when you look at the running back position broadly, there are less scoring opportunities for them as well. Yeah, I mean, going back to, you just want to touch base on the touchdown issue with running backs or touchdowns in general. It's random. What I look at at running backs is touchdowns are one thing, and you know, that's all great, but a lot of times they're, they're random. Uh, the difference between a wide receiver that catches three touchdowns and a difference between a wide receiver that catches 12 touchdowns could just be a matter of a few yards. I mean, how many times do you see a wide receiver make a great catch, get knocked out at the one or two, then the quarterback runs it in or they run it in? So it, it, as we know, touchdowns are random. What I'm looking at are the carries. That's the measuring stick because, you know, the usage of players on running, you know, through the running game is what has completely dissipated over over time, and uh, I agree with you about not going hog wild for, for really any of these running backs. Now, not to say that some of these guys aren't worth it, but I do believe, to your point, that you get better value um, – just, 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 you know, get you waiting a little bit and getting much better value down the road, whether it's an auction draft or the price or a snake draft, waiting a late around. And to that point, even emphasizes it more is you have a lot of teams where the quarterback is is running it in, and it's very, very frustrating. And uh, I just think the game has evolved from in fantasy football 
from the running back to quarterbacks and pass catchers. And, you know, some of those running backs are great pass catchers, but a lot of them are not. So I think the game has evolved, and I think the thinking has not, you know, has, has not changed, I think, is um, – as much as it should have. And, and, you know, we started out talking about, uh, you know, on the podcast today, situations with DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams and Carlos Hyde coming in to back up Robinson, Damian Williams backing up Dave Montgomery. We do know that on so many of these teams, right, how many – Green Bay at the end of the season was was employing three running backs in their attack. They were, they were rolling all three guys out there, and I think there's just a notion that they want to keep guys fresher – and having depth at the running back position now, in, in a few situations last year, injuries certainly made that difficult with certain teams. But but the teams that were able to maintain players' health, uh, they made sure that they gave multiple players touches in the backfield. Absolutely. And uh, <clears throat> moving on to uh, you know a different stat, the passing game. In the year 2000, three NFL quarterbacks threw for 4,000 yards. In 2010, five quarterbacks threw for 4,000 yards. In 2020, 12. That is an astronomical jump over time. So what does that show you? It shows you that the passing game, the pass catchers, the tight ends, the running backs that could catch the ball, and the receivers, that's where the thinking should be at because while the running back carries are going down, the passing yards and receptions and receiving yards are going up. Yeah, as well, passing touchdowns, right? I think I looked in 2000, I think there were uh, but a handful of quarterbacks, maybe like nine quarterbacks or eight quarterbacks that had over 20 passing touchdowns. And the t- I think the top number was around 30 or 31. And you look at what's uh, last year, how many guys had over 40? I think there were three or four guys over 40 last year. And I think there was something like 20 guys that had over 20 touchdowns passing. So it's a completely different game that we're playing from 20 years ago. Yeah, I, I, I agree completely with that. And um, I, I think I, I look at all of these mock drafts and I look, you know, how they go running back, running back, running back. And like in almost every one of them, there are nine or 10 running backs taken in the first round and you'll have maybe Travis Kelsey or Mike Thomas or Pat Mahomes sprinkled in there. I just think that thinking is wrong. I, 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 I'm really, the more, the more I look at it, I, I, I just think it's wrong. Um, I think you could get better value at running back. And in the meantime, with the, with the passing game becoming so prevalent in the NFL, um, if you could get those elite pass catchers, uh, with your money in auction drafts and picks early in, in drafts, I believe that's the way to go. And I, I, I just think these um, analysts who put these mock drafts out there, you know, who should be going where, I just think they're wrong. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't disagree with you. I think, I think the big thing, too, even at the receiver position, uh, while the game has evolved into a passing game, it seemed like back in 2000. Uh, in the year 2000, there are actually a lot more 1,000-yard receivers, whereas in now, there are so many teams that are three and four strong at receiver, 
and, and using different packages uh, on a consistent basis. So I think there were like 25, I think I counted 25 or so uh, thousand yard receivers back in, back in 2000. N- now only 16, but the amount of guys catching 700 and 800 uh, yards and having whatever, 50 or 60 catches seems a lot more. There just is a lot more depth at each, each team's uh, wide receiver position, so you're spreading out those targets among uh, amongst three players. So yes, the elite receivers are still getting theirs, but there's there's not as many of them. the The offense is a lot more spread out, and I think, and we'll talk about this in a second. But where tight end was in 2000 and where it is now is night and day. Yeah. So what I like to use as a measuring stick for receivers is 80 catches, 16 games. Are you catching five passes a game? I think if you're catching five passes a game, you're certainly fantasy relevant. In 2010, 11 pass catches caught 80 or more passes. In 2020, 23. That's more than double. That's, that, that is going up at an extremely high rate. And it just goes to show you, I just feel you need to strategize your draft around the passing game as opposed to the running backs in in the NFL. I just feel that's where it's headed. That's where it's going to continue to head. And it's going to continue to go. And as far as these rules and everything that's in place, there's no reason to think that it's not going to keep exploding towards pass catchers and pass throwers. Yeah, you know, the other interesting thing is was is if you look now, back in 2000, actually, there, there weren't many websites that actually um, uh, looked at targets, actually. Uh, targets didn't become in vogue until probably only about 10 years ago in terms of measuring the amount of balls thrown to a player. Um, but when you look this year, it will take a couple of teams that, that had so much difficulty in running the football. And in the AFC, it's the, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore, uh, Buffalo Bills. Could not run the football effectively in any way, shape, or form. And you look at the way they utilize their receivers in the passing game as basically a de facto uh, rushing game. Cole Beasley, what he did for the Buffalo Bills, and and even a guy like Juju, who really just was running these kind of seven to five to seven yard routes so, so often. And that became the de facto rushing game for, for teams that were actually ineffective at running the football. Yeah, I mean, to that point, I look at some of these slot receivers, third receivers, and they have they have more fantasy value at the end of the year. They will have more fantasy value if you're in a PPR league than a starting running back. Like the Buffalo Bills, they run the ball just every so often just to see if they could pop one or if the team's not really they're respecting the run at all. But, I mean, they'll throw 10, 15, 20 times in a row. And, and when they run it, sometimes it's a design run for Josh Allen. Or sometimes it's a pass that ends up being a run for Josh Allen. So you have to be careful about spending five times the value on what you perceive to be a starting running back, like spending in a in in an auction draft, $25 for a starting running back on the Buffalo Bills, when for $5 you could get a slot receiver that's going to catch 70, 75 passes and will outproduce that starting running back. 100%. So, like, I, you know, again, this is – this is a little enlightenment, you know, you know, I mean, you and I kind of figured it was going on, but I don't think we 
looked as closely as we took a look at it here. But I think when you look at when you when you prepare for your upcoming season, I think you're making a very very big mistake if you if you gear too much of your energy to the running back position. I think that's what we're saying here. And and like I mentioned to you, the, the fact is, look at look at what tight ends have become in the NFL. Look at how many guys are catching 50 balls now. I think there were 19 or 20 um, tight ends that were right around 50 catches or more. And you go back 20 years ago. There was like two or three. That was it, and no thousand yarders. And I don't. I think very few guys that they even had seventy or eighty catches. It's a completely different position, and another. I think another factor in mitigating, um, you know, running running back production. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I just feel that there was a time where it was it was a scramble to get those running backs, and it was justified. And then maybe ten years ago, it I could still see it but I don't think it was as prevalent. And now I just don't think that uh, that's the way to go. But I still feel that a lot of people look at it and think that is the way to go, and that's their draft strategy. And uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just a firm believer that that's wrong. Now, I mentioned defense a little bit here. Now, if you took a close look at kind of how defense has been treated in the NFL, obviously on the rule changes, you're not allowed to touch anybody. It's a, it's a, it's a much softer game than it was uh, back 20 years ago. And even from a fantasy perspective, I was taking a close look at it. Like if you looked at the number of teams that had over 100 points on defense in fantasy – and actually, it would top out like kind of in the 180, 170 area. There were basically almost every defense was capable of doing that. I think there was like 20, 25 defenses at over 100 points on defense. Now, there's like none uh, because the defenses, there's a couple of defenses that can kind of punch you in the face in the NFL today. But the fact of the matter is the rule changes have have definitely impaired defenses look it's all relative I understand that but the fact of the matter is they're just much more random and I think that's why from a strategic standpoint a lot of a lot of guys like to go into fantasy years and just kind of stream defenses on a week-to-week basis especially if you only have to roster one yeah I, I, I agree with that and look we've talked at length about this I feel too many leagues want to make kickers and defenses are relevant in their league. I've seen leagues vote on whether to remove kickers completely. Uh, I see leagues where they give, uh, you know, uh, uh, the difference between uh, a 38-yard field goal made and a 59-yard field goal made is like two fantasy points. How could that be right? How, how, does, that, how does that make any sense? If, if, you, if you're in a league that's starting – 10 or 11 or 12 guys, why should that kicker or defense not be as valuable as a fourth or third receiver or a third or second running back? Like, they're in your starting lineup. They should have importance. And most of all, a great defensive performance and a great kicking performance should be separate from a terrible defense performance and a kicker that that doesn't that kicks one extra point in a game. You've got to you you just can't make them all the same. If you're going to make them all the same, then just don't even have it. But if you're going to have kickers and defenses in your league, you've got to separate 
terrific performances from terrible performances, just like any other position. Does a, a quarterback that throws for 375 yards and three touchdowns get nearly the same amount of points as a quarterback that throws for 180 yards, two interceptions, and no touchdowns? No. You're going to get obliterated. So the same thing should be at every single position. I think you and I are in the minority in that belief, which is sad, but I, I just think that too many leagues – try and make defense and kick are irrelevant. Yeah, and I think what you have to do is you, everybody should be reviewing your scoring systems. You should be doing that in the offseason. Take the time as a league to look at it, uh, listen to suggestions from people in your league, because that's what we do every single year uh, in order to make your, your leagues better. And I think one of the things that you talk about is there should be an advantage by drafting those that those drafting those drafting uh, kickers that, number one, the coaches are going to send them out for more 50-yard opportunities, and number two, they're more efficient from that Decent from that distance, and and lastly, you have to reward a guy who you know a kicking a fifty-five yard field goal is not an easy accomplishment. Okay, so you can't just give the same amount of points or just a little bit more points than a guy who kicks a field goal from thirty yards. There should be bonuses for that. So those are things that should be reviewed, and I think the same could be argued on defense. When you turn the ball over, when you turn someone over, you know you may want to look at what you give give in terms of. I guess yardage is to me is something that should kind of be eliminated, and we've, we 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 don't play in a lot of leagues that actually use yardage as your measuring stick for defenses. But you know what? You you get you get uh, interceptions, you get fumble recoveries. You know you should review on what teams get for those type of plays and you know we've tried to make it more equitable and the the the, the teams that get turnovers they're the ones that are going to be rewarded uh, at, a, at a higher level as a result yeah and i i just feel when it comes to kickers and defenses this strategy this research this effort that that people who know what they're doing put into it as far as kickers go you want to know where they're playing who they're playing is the coach the type of coach that is going to go for it fourth and two from the 36 yard line or they're going to send their field goal kicker out there what kind of kicker is he do they have confidence in him? what did he do the year before i mean are people looking and studying what kickers did the year before between 40 and 49 and 50 and 59 because that's going to tell the story of where the coach is going to have confidence in them for the upcoming year and i think the strategy and um and effort that is required to come up with good kicking picks on a yearly basis. And, uh, you know, there, there are trends in that too. I feel like since Lamar Jackson has taken over, the Jason Tuck, uh, Tucker, Justin Tucker's attempts of those long fields are going down because he convinces Harbaugh to go for it on, on fourth and short, no matter where they are. And I think that's something that people don't take into consideration that they should. And, um, I, I think there's a real strategy to it, and uh, there's a there's there's a skill into trying to come up with good kickers and defenses every year. Yeah, there definitely is a skill, and, and some of it is random. And offenses of efficiency plays a big role in it. When I look at la like last year, for example, Mason Crosby, for you know a guy that's been around the league for a very very long time, he, he didn't miss a kick last year. He actually only attempted though 16 field goals. He was 16 for 16. He kicked a 
crudload of uh, extra points because the, the offense of the uh, Green Bay Packers was putting up more points than anybody. He had the most extra points in the NFL last year, 63 extra extra point attempts, which is unbelievable when you think about it. Uh, but just didn't, you know, the offense of the Green Bay Packers was extremely efficient. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and, and Devontae Adams or, or or Robert Tanyan were, were zoned in around, around, the green, uh, around the red zone and they were getting in all the time. When I look at the top five kickers from this past year none of them were regarded as top none of them were regarded as top 10 picks whatsoever Carlson Koo Sanders Bass Blankenship nobody had them in their top 10 last year but that was the group that it was to your point Justin Tucker was the number eight field goal kicker in fantasy last year so you may want to take a little bit closer look at how kickers are being utilized uh, and obviously the efficiency in those offenses because as as, as teams struggle in the red zone, much like the Atlanta Falcons, which is one of the big reasons why, why Koo was able to do as well as he did, you know, if, if things change, you know, I don't know, it could change under Arthur Smith this, this year. Uh, even though the, the player personnel is very similar, maybe the offensive play calling will be such that, you know, Koo doesn't get many attempts. But the one thing is, Koo has been a very dependable kicker from, from long distance. So, so there's a number of different factors that need to be looked at. But, you know, again, it's important to kind of, really think about it instead of just being re- just reflexive uh, and just going after a guy like Justin Tucker because as great as he is, Wiz has pointed this out, he is just not getting the same amount of attempts. Yeah, and, and another point about defense is if people listen to this podcast starting this time last year all the way until September, which was the defense that we felt – I know I had them in like almost every league I was in, and you tried to get them in every league they were in. The Tampa Bay Bucks, and it wasn't that their defense personnel changed. It was they had a quarterback who was putting their defense either behind or in terrible field position situations because of turnovers going to Brady, who we knew was going to value the ball. So it doesn't even necessarily matter of what's going on with the defensive personnel. Personnel. If you have a good defensive personnel and then you get some offensive personnel that's going to either not turn the ball over or have some more you know, possession time where your defense is on the field and with Brady and that offense in there, we knew both was going to happen. And what happened? Well, they became an elite defense. Uh, their personnel was the same. They went on through the Super Bowl. So if anyone was listening to that podcast, that was the defense that – Nobody had inside their top five that you and I just told everyone was going to be the you know, kind of the sleeper defense of the year. Yeah, and then ended up working out very, very well. And, uh, you know, again, I haven't looked closely at it right now, but I'm sure there's another defense out there this year that maybe is a result of poor play on offense or, you know, just a, uh, whatever, some change in dynamic on the team. I'm sure there is a defense out there that has upside considering that they didn't finish, let's say, in the top half of uh, fantasy defenses last year, I'm sure there is a defense out there, when we start to look at this, that will fulfill uh, fill, fulfill that exact uh, point that Wiz is making. Yeah, I agree completely. And uh, it's, you know, the fun part of it. And, uh, you know, if you can get that type of defense that no one else is thinking about and you could wait until basically, you know, uh, round 16 of a snake draft or get for a dollar in an auction draft, that's more value that allows you to spend money or picks uh, elsewhere and you're not going to lose anything 
by picking you know the, that defense at the end or spending a dollar on them in an auction draft, it's it's going to give you great value. So uh, that's what we're trying to do. I mean, it, it's it's all about value. That's the name of the game. It's when you take these players in snake drafts and how much you spend on them in auction drafts. We're not talking about the talent of the player. It's the talent versus talent in two players, but it's where they're picked that separates the value. Yeah, so I, I was thinking about this too, Wiz, just uh, not to get off exactly what you're talking about, but uh, you know, I thought about this la- at the last year's draft. I, I was thinking about in most of my drafts, two, two things happened that I thought were incorrect. Number one, I felt that rookies were being undervalued. I, I also felt that that was the case in, in mock drafts. And I also felt that last year, because of the kind of unbelievable season that Christian McCaffrey had had the year prior, there seemed to be a step up in kind of uh, euphoria over getting running backs this past year. I felt there was more of a premium that was being paid this year than I had seen maybe in the last couple of years. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna kind of, uh, obviously I'll be observing that uh, for these coming season when I do my drafts, but, but I felt rookies were undervalued considerably, definitely in the mock drafts, and I felt we overvalued, especially in auction drafts, a lot of these running backs. So I'm looking for running backs to take a step back after this, this, this past season. They should. Uh, we've articulated the reasons why they should. You know, Last year, again, there's, there was so many injuries at the position. Most of the top guys that were taken really never fulfilled that. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And you want to start thinking about strategies, you know, especially after once, once the NFL draft passes and you understand you know, the depth charts and the personnel that teams are going to be dealing with this is going to be a much more normal off season players are going to be out there in, in mini camps and stuff so you're going to want to pay attention to this stuff but but again I think that running backs were way too emphasized last year and I think you'll see a significant step back this year yeah I think that had to do with two things one was the Christian McCaffrey unbelievable season in 2019 and the other was this Clyde Edwards Alaire hype train by Peter King and Louis Riddick and guys saying, you have to take him with your number one overall pick. You won't be disappointed. And, uh, you know, if you look at the top seven or eight running backs, we can go down the list. I mean, you know, uh, McCaffrey injured, Elliott disappointment, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley. I mean, there were more disappointments then Edwards Alaire, that's five. And then maybe in that first A group, the ones that, that deserved that performance were Derrick Henry, uh, Dalvin Cook, and Kamara. So in the first eight picks that were just taken from almost every mock draft and every draft that was done, those eight running backs, you had three success and five failures. You can't do well in a league if you bomb out completely with your first round running back pick and and if, and if it's more likely for failure than it's a success then you're really it's not good so if you think about the top eight guys that were taken five were disappointments and three were success stories yeah, and it's a much bigger deal when it comes to auction leagues too because you think about it right? if whatever it's a hundred dollar or a two hundred dollar auction the amount of money going towards a player that like guys that you mentioned it's a significant part of your salary cap is directed at that type of player uh and it's going to definitely impair the rest of your roster 
Yeah, and then you have the guys that think, oh, no, here's what I'm going to do. You know, we're going back to 2000, the year 2000 strategy, and they're thinking, is, okay, I'm in a $100 draft. I'm going to spend $80 on those on two of those guys, and um, and I'll, I'll, I'll just fill out the rest of my team with dollar and two players, and they try and get two of those running backs. They end up with, like, Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott, and uh, they spend, like, 75 or 80 on those two guys, and they fill out the rest of their dollar, you know, players with dollar players and then all of a sudden in the middle of September you find yourself buying basketball books <laughs> and there definitely were a lot of guys so so I definitely you know would uh, implore people to kind of be be more diligent about their strategy and 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 really think about what you're investing in and what you're doing because uh, you know it's a, it's a changing game no question about it and injuries are a big part of what happened you know luck is a significant component of fantasy success there's no question about it Yep, and uh, one last thing before we go, I want to give a shout-out to Eric Brown, one of our best listeners. He always uh, is so complimentary about the show, and don't worry, we're going to get into a lot of draft and Dolphin talk. Uh, I know you have some buddies, Dolphins and Jets fans as well, so it's going to be a lot of fun as we get closer to the draft, and uh, just wanted to thank for the support that um, – that you guys uh, give us. Yeah, it's it's great. It's great. You know, Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast, we've been at this for a year. Uh, I hope we've been able to help the people who have been listening. For, pe- for ignorant people that haven't been listening, guys like Jimmy O, uh, and they wonder why they've failed at fantasy for multiple years in a row. Uh, that, that's why, because you're not listening. You're not paying attention to, to details, and that's, uh, that's what you need to be to, to be successful. So Guru and Wiz Fantasy Football Podcast. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Make sure you subscribe. Again, we're going to be keep coming at you during the offseason. Going to be off till, till next week. Uh, I'm going to be away for a little bit, but uh, we'll be back at it afterwards. We'll have a lot to talk about. So, Wiz, uh, enjoy the next week. Uh, I'll talk to you at the end of next week and uh, wish everybody a nice weekend. You do the same. Thanks very much.